Hello and welcome to the CircuitPython Weekly for August 24th, 2020. Uh, my name is Scott and I work on CircuitPython for Adafruit. Uh, CircuitPython is a version of Python designed for small, inexpensive computers called microcontrollers, uh, which Adafruit uh, sells. Uh, so if you're interested in getting into electronics and, and basic computers, uh, you can go to adafruit.com and purchase microcontrollers boards there. Um, this meeting is uh, a meeting of our community members and folks paid by Adafruit to work on CircuitPython so we can all collaborate on CircuitPython and everything around it, uh, including our libraries and Blinka. Um, so check that out. This meeting happens <laughs> at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern on Mondays. Um, it happens uh, normally at, uh, normally on Mondays, but if there is a U.S. holiday on Monday, we will change it, which I believe that not next week, but the week after is adjusted. Um, so make sure and take a look there. We do have a link uh, in the notes to, I think it's in the notes to the uh, calendar. So if you're uh, wanting to keep up with that, uh, you can check the calendar for when those meetings are scheduled. Um, everyone is welcome to attend. Uh, you can go to the uh, join the Adafruit Discord to listen in live uh, at adafru.it slash discord. Uh, and then we're in the CircuitPython voice channel. Uh, the voice channel is locked down, so you have to be a uh, CircuitPythonista role um, to participate. Uh, we've locked it down because we've had some spammers. So uh, if you want to join, we're happy to add you to CircuitPythonistas. Just let us know that you, that you do want to participate otherwise we'll just skip over you and that's no big deal we're happy to have people just listen in uh, this meeting is recorded so uh, be aware of that uh, I've recorded both the CircuitPython text channel and the audio coming from the voice channel um, and then that gets posted on the Adafruit YouTube channel which is youtube.com slash Adafruit and then also um, the audio is stripped out of that video and posted to a bunch of podcast services as well so if that's interesting to you, um, let us know. Uh, so yes, for um, upcoming meetings, uh, Jeff posted a text update saying the next one is August 31st, next Monday. And then after that, we have one on September 8th, which is a Tuesday because September 7th is a US holiday. Uh, although we're debating, uh, we've declared uh, September 9th to be CircuitPython Day, so maybe we should bump it to Wednesday. Um, so uh, maybe we should talk about that in the weeds, but it, uh, if you want to chime in before then, um, drop a thing in the text channel, and maybe we can move our meeting to CircuitPython Day. Thank you, Jeff, who added it to in the weeds. Uh, let's talk about the structure of the meeting uh, in case anybody's new to this. Um, first, we start off with community news which is uh, some highlights from the upcoming uh, CircuitPython newsletter, which Ann puts together. Um, we'll start with that. After that, we have State of CircuitPython Libraries in Blinka, which is a statistics overview of the health of the project uh, and uh, the like major pieces within the project. Uh, it's great to ground us in how things are going. Uh, after that, we talk about hug reports, which is a chance for us all to say thank you to other folks for the work they've been doing in the community. Um, we do that as a round robin, so I will start and go through the alphabetical list of people in the voice channel, 
Uh, if you don't want to participate uh, or you're text only, just let us know you're lurking. Uh, if you're marked as lurking and there's notes, I will read them off for you. Otherwise, we'll just skip over you, uh, and that's totally cool. Uh, after hug reports, we have status updates, which is also done as a round robin. Um, and same, same rules apply. Let us know if you're lurking, and I'm happy to read stuff off as well. Uh, status updates is a chance for us to spend a minute or two to talk about what we've been working on the past week and what we're working on in the coming week. It's a great way for us to uh, coordinate with each other when we're working on things that we may have experience with that somebody else has also worked on. Uh, and then lastly, after status updates, uh, we uh, have in the weeds, which is a chance for us to do any more longer form discussion about um, any longer form discussion about uh, CircuitPython, and we'll uh, we'll have a chance to talk about that those longer topics there. Um, this uh, meeting tends to run between an hour and an hour and a half. So uh, if anybody cannot make the full time or, and has things they'd like to talk about, please let us know in the text channel and we'd be happy to shuffle it around so that you're able to, to participate. And with that, um, let me take a time code for the notes that go along with the video and we will get started. So um, first uh, in community news, uh, this is an overview of some cool things that uh, we found online. Uh, we have the Raspberry Pi as a USB MIDI host. Uh, this says, uh, using a Raspberry Pi with Python as a USB MIDI host, Liz Clark has her Pi connected to a MIDI keyboard and output through a Eurorack with a CircuitPython-powered Winterbloom Sol module or a CircuitPython-powered relay-driven xylophone. Uh, there's a link to Twitter and the documentation. That's interesting to you. Um, we wanted to highlight the fact that the newsletter itself surpassed 8,000 subscribers. So congrats to everybody who uh, subscribes to that newsletter. Thank you for uh, taking a look at that every week. If you're not subscribed, um, please join at adafruitdaily.com. Click the checkbox from Python for microcontrollers and subscribe there. It is not associated with your adafruit.com account, so um, it will be spam-free. It will be exactly what you signed up for. Um, and that's exciting. And I also want to reiterate with that is that if you have uh, CircuitPython projects that you'd love to share with these 8,000 people, we're always looking for con contributions to the newsletter. Uh, reach out to Anne with those. I'll cover that in just a bit uh, later as well. Um, Okie doke. Continuing on, uh, there's a, a Cosplays Bolivar's Mace, which is another wonderful cosplay prop in progress at Kamui Cosplay. Uh, Bolivar's Mace uses an Adafruit Feather and Prop Maker Featherwing to provide lights, shake detection, and sound. And thank you folks for posting the link to that. Um, Next up, a book that is actually on my radar as well that I'd, I'd like to take a look at called Working in Public, The Making and Maintenance of Open Source Software. Uh, it says, a new book out this month, Working in Public, The Making and Maintenance of Open Source Software by Nadia Eggball. Uh, together, or recommended by Python creator Guido Van Rossum. It is an inside look at modern open source software developers and their influence on online social worlds. And also check out Nadia's GitHub repos for interesting information on open source. And next up, 
we have a reminder. Uh, CircuitPython Day is September 9th, 2020, which is two weeks from Wednesday. Um, Adafruit has chosen September 9th, uh, 2020 as the snakiest day of the year for CircuitPython Day. Much more to come on events and happenings to include a CircuitPython team live stream, collaboration with hardware and software folks, and highlighting all things Python and Python on hardware. Uh, this year, CircuitPython Day is being dedicated to Lambda, Lambda Labs uh, Makerspace, who are helping during the Beirut disaster. More information on CircuitPython Day is forthcoming. If you have ideas and you'd like to participate, um, send them uh, to the CircuitPython Day at Adafruit.com email, and uh, we'll add your event to the working calendar, which is a separate thing, which I haven't seen yet, so I'm excited about it. Uh, oh, look. The, the URL will be forthcoming. Uh, which URL? The calendar. OK. Nice. Awesome. Thank you, Anne, for putting that together. All right. A couple housekeeping notes at the end of the community news. First, uh, Adafruit update. Adafruit is stocked in shipping orders. I uh, heard we're over 90% in stock, which is awesome and great work for those folks. Um, so now is the best time to get orders in for your favorite products, including items for students. Uh, science is fun and educational when using Adafruit parts and free, easy-to-follow tutorials in the Adafruit learning system. Uh, go to adafruit.com to check out all the new stuff that we have and the things that are back in stock. And lastly, um, the newsletter. As we've talked about, that Anne puts together, along with putting together CircuitPython Day, uh, you can subscribe to adafruitdaily.com. Uh, these stories here were just a preview of it. Uh, there's lots of other cool things, including a, an e-ink moon phase clock that looks very neat. So consider that a teaser. Uh, it is sent out on Tuesday morning, so if you want to get tomorrow's, uh, check that out. You could also look at the, I think that on adafruitdaily.com, there's also a link to the archive as that as well. Uh, if you'd like to submit stories to the newsletter, it is publicly drafted at uh, github.com slash adafruit slash circuitpython dash weekly dash newsletter. Uh, just look in the drafts folder there, and uh, there's a link in the notes as well to this week's draft. Um, thanks again to Anne for putting that together. I knew you can always uh, email her or tweet at her uh, to get stuff into the newsletter as well. And with that, uh, that was Community News. Thanks, as always, to Anne for putting that together. Um, next up, we have State of CircuitPython Libraries in Blinka. This is a, statistic, a statistical uh, outlook on the health of the project, um, particularly uh, how active are we in terms of pull requests and how many people are involved is uh, two things that we look at a lot. Um, so we had 102 pull requests merged this week, which is maybe the first time we've broken 100, maybe the second time, uh, but is just outstanding. So uh, keep up the good work. We had 27 authors, and I think, yeah, definitely at least the second time, Katni says. I think Katni had a lot to do with this. Um, so 27 authors, some new names that I don't recognize here are ZZTS, um, Garrett Heath 4, Esmil, uh, doo -doo -doo. Danny Staple, Walchko, uh, NVT Kaspier, um, and the other names, uh, yeah, 27 is awesome. 
Um, so thank you to all those new authors and, and the folks that continue to author pull requests. Um, we had 11 reviewers, uh, including some new names, uh, include Roaming Things is a new, new reviewer there. And as always, we're, we're always looking for people to review because the more reviewers we have, the more authors we can support. So if you want to get involved in doing reviews, let us know. Um, Issues-wise, we had 31 closed issues by 14 people and 16 opens by 12 people, uh, which means we're net down 15, if my math is right. Uh, lots of people involved, which is awesome, so uh, let's keep it up. Uh, overall, uh, that's an awesome week, uh, first and foremost. And uh, so we've been continuing to add libraries as Adafruit releases new products. We're starting to see some uptake from other companies as well, like Pimeroni for products for their stuff as well. Um, so we're, I'm hopeful that we're seeing CircuitPython become a broader thing than just Adafruit. Um, on the core side, we're uh, needing to push to get 6.0 out the door. We've been a little bit behind on getting uh, releases out, but now that Dan is through his Beely HCI stuff, hopefully that pace will pick up and we'll squash lots of bugs in the fall here. Uh, so that's overall. And I forgot to stick a time code. Stick a time code here. Uh, hopefully that was co coherent overall. <laughs> uh, for the core, um, we had nine pull requests merged from seven different authors. So thank you to all those authors. We had two reviewers. Thank you, thank you to our reviewers as well. Uh, we had 15 open pull requests where a, f a number of them are, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six are o more than uh, three weeks old. So we should take a look at those, um, but nothing too uh, concerning here. Issues wise, we had six closed issues by three people, five open by five people. So we're net down to one, which is good for a total of 313 open issues. Um, <laughs> thanks to the person in the notes who's highlighted the fact that uh, issues wise, uh, we catalog them by milestone, kind of gives us our urgency and triage notions. And we have zero issues not assigned a milestone, which is great. Uh, it means that we're on top of the triage task of, of checking out new bugs. So uh, that's good. Uh, we've tried to be more aggressive with uh, marking only a few things with the 6.0, 6.x, and 6xx. Uh, issues, so we have a total of uh, 20 open issues for 6.0, so we're going to have to take a look at that as we drive to get 6.0 stable. Um, and with that, let's kick it over to Katni for a li library update. Thanks, Scott. Mm -hmm. So we had, this is all over all of the CircuitPython libraries, so everything Adafruit underscore CircuitPython underscore live name. And we had 92 pull requests merged from 21 authors, including um, Garrett Heath 4, uh, Esmil, um, Danny Staple, Walchko, uh, are all new. And 11 reviewers, including our new reviewer, Roaming Things. Um, so there's a huge list of these uh, merged PRs. Um, I didn't have as much to do with this as you might think. It was actually uh, Jeff Epler and Dan who uh, Jeff noticed that there was a change in Pylint and so went through all of the libraries and resolved that issue. Mm. Um, so that was a majority of them. But there was also a huge majority of older ones 
um, the oldest one being 106 days up through ones that were five to three days um, that were merged when I did last week a PR sweep of all open PRs. So that that was good. So those two things combined put us at a lot of PRs. Awesome. <laughs> um, and that leaves us with 28 open pull requests, which is great. I think the last meeting or the meeting before we were up to like 49. So we got through a lot in the sweep. Uh, we have 23 issues closed by 11 people and eight opened by six people, which again is not surprising due to some of these PRs being linked to issues. Um, leaving us with 180 open issues and we have eight good first issues. So those are uh, issues that if you are looking to contribute to CircuitPython or the project and you are a beginner, don't know where to start, good first issues are an excellent place to start. Um, all of this information is available at circuitpython.org slash contributing. And if you're looking to contribute, that's an excellent place to start. Um, it has uh, all the open issues, all of the open PRs, and library infrastructure issues. And we try to label good first issues so that you can search the issue page by label. Um, and that way um, you can see what are you know the, the best issues for you to get started with. If you are looking for something a little more complicated, try searching for bug or enhancement. And that will give you a list of things um to do we're trying to make sure that everything gets labeled um i'm 100 certain it's not happening consistently but um we end up going through trying to do sweeps every so often and make sure everything's labeled and um the other thing is uh not super soon but um coming up is hacktoberfest and we have a setup to label all of our good first issues as Hacktoberfest issues as well. So you will be able to search that page to find your um, find your Hacktober, you know, good good issues to, to do for Hacktoberfest will also be available um, by searching. We had one new library in the last week, and that's the TC74, and a number of updated libraries that I will not read through. Um, and I think that, oh yeah, Scott's making the point, um, help us mark more good first issues. So if you file an issue and you don't have the ability to label it, um, but you think it's a good first issue, ping one of us, let us know. Um, and if you see an issue that you think is better for beginners and not one that you want to do, um, you can also let us know either on Discord or on um, GitHub and, you know, ping one of us directly and we can go in and label it. And that's what's going on with the libraries. Thank you, Caddy. And uh, for the core, I would say, like, I, I've i always hesitated to mark things on the core as good first issues, but I think it's important to think about the context of it. So, like, on the core, we should assume that, yeah, like, it's going to take C work and you're going to have to build it, but it could still be a good first issue. I think what makes a good first issue is something that's reasonably clear what the task is and is well documented and uh, is kind of limited in scope. So uh, keep that in mind. Don't let the tooling itself uh, prevent you from marking something as good first issue. Yeah, we can help with all of that. So it's it's a matter of, you know, is, is the issue something you're interested in doing? 
And uh, we, we have had a lot of folks coming in during Hacktoberfest, so we should expect to get some new folks, uh, which will be really cool. Okay, uh, Melissa's out today, so I will read off Blinka. Uh, taking a well-deserved vacation, I believe. Uh, at least time off. So uh, Blinka is the uh, CircuitPython compatibility layer for single-board computers. Uh, meaning you can run CircuitPython libraries, uh, like the section we just talked about, on uh, single-board computers like the BeagleBone and the Raspberry Pi. Um, so stats for Blinka. We had one pull request merge from author ZZTS and one reviewer, Maker Melissa. We have two open pull requests, uh, both longer than 30 days. Uh, I don't know the reason for that, but um, I'm sure it's there is a reason. Uh, Issues-wise, uh, Blinka had two closed issues by two people and three open by three people, so up one for a total of 27 open issues. So uh, if you don't have hardware necessarily, but you do have a single-board computer and want to help out, uh, you can go to github.com slash adafruit slash adafruit underscore Blinka slash issues to see all 27 current open issues. Uh, in terms of downloads, so uh, how many people are using uh, Blinka uh, via pipe? PI. Uh, downloads in the last week is 2,517 uh, and the number of supported boards is 52. So that's status updates for all the different bits of CircuitPython. Uh, as always, if you, if you do have sections uh, or stats that you'd like to see added to the section, please let us know. Uh, we're always wanting to refine it as, as things grow and get uh, different priorities. So next up, uh, we have hug reports, which is a chance for us to each of us to say a thank you to folks in the community. Uh, this serves two roles. One, uh, it thanks. It's good to take some time and appreciate people for what they've been doing. And by doing it publicly, we're reiterating the values of our community as well. So uh, twofold. And uh, if you are uh, in the voice chat but don't want to participate, just make sure that uh, you're marked in the note stock as lurking, and I'll just skip over you. That's no big deal. If you would like me to read that off, um, just uh, say you're lurking or text only in the doc, and I'll, I'll read that out as well. So I'll take a time code. So uh, I have three hug reports. First, uh, hug report to Dan H for the BLEIO HCI implementation. Um, a hug report to Katni for helping get uh, libraries set up and continuing to group them. I had one that I was doing, and I was like, oh, don't we have to do this thing? And she was like, no, we don't do that anymore. So happy to have her to help with that. Uh, thank you to Esden for a good FPGA uh, kind of community discussion last week. And I should also uh, give a hug report to Jeff Epler as well for a good discussion about API design for CAN. And with that, uh, let's circle around. Um, we have a couple text-only people, so Dan will be the next person to speak. So just a heads up, Dan, you're coming up soon. Uh, first, we have notes from Ask Patrick W, who says, uh, Hug reports Dan H for the building CircuitPython documentation. I've been using it as I build CircuitPython for the ESP32-S2. And a hug report to Katni for the contributing to CircuitPython documentation. I refer to it over and over for how to set up my remotes properly. So Carter is looking. So C. Grover has text. And then, oh, sorry, we'll go to Charles before Dan. I missed that. Um, so C. Grover writes, a hug report to Richard Alberton, Alberton for the detail and completeness of the Making a Pipe Portal user interface learning guide. 
I was stalled with a display I.O. challenge and was able to achieve the needed breakthrough after reviewing the guide. Some great nuggets in there. And let's go to Charles for hug reports. I've just got a group hug today. Okay. Uh, thank you. Thanks, Charles. And uh, David Glad is on deck, but we'll go to Dan first. Okay. Uh, as Scott mentioned, thanks to Jeff for fixing an issue with the libraries over the weekend, a lot of libraries over the weekend where um, Pilot dropped some uh, some things that it used to check for, and then it started complaining that some things that we uh, turned off, that, that error doesn't exist anymore. And they did this all in a minor version update, which is kind of a nuisance. Not, they don't really have semantic versioning quite down. So, but anyway, I... I, I, I uh, thanks for to Jeff for that. Thanks to Roaming Things who um, was using the DLE library and discovered that a change that we'd made last week caused a regression on 5.3, and so he saw this on Sunday. I fixed it. He tested it, and it was all done in a couple hours. It was great. Uh, thanks to V923Z for continuing to work on ULab and responding to uh, interesting bug reports and. Um, Feature requests. It's under still under very active development, which is great. Thanks to Katni for doing the library sweep that Scott mentioned. And then thanks to everybody on Discord, both our sort of official and also our non-official helpers who are doing a really terrific job of answering people's everyday, ordinary, and somewhat more, sometimes more unusual questions. It's really great. And it, it, it helps me. I can work on other things. I don't have to do as much support. And it's really great that we have so many people helping out there. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. All right. Uh, Filmy Guy is on deck, but first we'll go to David Gloud. Okay, let's try this. Um, so thank you to Katni and Brentrew for reviewing PM25. Um, I need to do something about it and then bring them maybe for next review. Thank you to Scott for reviewing another library where I'm speaking that into a package. Thank you to JetLove for helping with the RGB matrix. Uh, I needed an extra pin for the 64 by 64 um, matrix I have. Thank you to Erin and Jepler or whoever wrote the code for the Ocean Epoxy RGB matrix because that's what I used. Thank you to Maker Melissa for various library. I don't know which one exactly, but I guess it's all coming from, from her and it's useful for the RGB matrix. Thank you to Lady Ada for checking and dispatching and accepting Pierre over the weekend. Thank you to Sidesius and Omigai for fixing, and or I don't know which one anymore, um, fixing, releasing the clue and the pie batch library and all the side effects of the LSM6TS library release. And that's it. Awesome. Bye -bye. Thanks. Thank you, David. All right, uh, Higher Effect is on deck, but first we'll go to Foamy Guy. All right, uh, this week I got a hug. Thank you to Jepler for a quick review on an issue that popped up with the Display Text Library. Um, so we got that reviewed and merged in, and that saved uh, most likely some other people from running into trouble with it, so that's good. Um, thank you to David, um, as mentioned a moment ago, for pointing out a bunch of places where the update to the uh, LSM 60S library uh, needed to get updated with uh, just slightly different import. 
Um, and then uh, thank you to Kmatch uh, for working on Bitmap Blip. I had a chance to, to play with that um, over this weekend. That thing is, is really cool. Um, and then just a group hug for everybody. Uh, really enjoy everyone's company and the, and the whole community. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you, foamy guy. All right. Jeff Epler is on deck, but first we'll go to Higher Effects. Alrighty. Um, thanks uh, this past week to you, Scott, for uh, helping wrap up the Pulse.io for ESP32 review. Um, thanks to the PCB helpers uh, for the recommendations on low-cost voltage regulators. Um, and I'm pretty sure that I'm forgetting somebody. So group hug, and if you're the person I'm forgetting, thank you. So, is that for me? Thanks, Hire Effect. Okay, Jerry's on deck. Let's go to Jeff. Hello. Uh, I was busy typing in another in the weeds based on the little side conversation Katni and I are having, so uh, I have to scroll back up. Uh, so first, I want to thank Dave P for uh, patience with me while I said a bunch of incorrect things on his PR. There's almost nothing worse than being on either end of like a totally misguided review. So I'm sorry about that. Um, and yeah, thanks for your patience. Uh, thanks to you, Scott, for a very helpful succession uh, discussion about the CanIO API. And thanks to Foamy Guy for dropping the links in the meeting today. It lets me take notes better. I'm I'm doing what I can. And a group hug to everybody because uh, you guys are great. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Uh, Katni's on deck. Let's go to Jerry. Yeah, I just got a group hug. Uh, so much good stuff going on. Thanks. Great. Thank you, Jerry. All right. Uh, Kmatch98, I will read off right after Katni goes. Uh, so my first hug report is Kmatch98. Um, for putting in so many fixes lately, I keep getting um, seeing either PRs go by or getting tagged on PRs, uh, and they're all great work and needed stuff. So thank you very much for that. Um, to Foamy Guy for all the assistance on PRs, merges, and releases. That's another great thing is um, that th there is a cycle that has to occur on the libraries, um, which is the test the PR, merge the PR, and then you have to release the library. And um, not everybody can do that or not everybody knows that. Uh, so usually that ends up on me, but um, Foamy Guy is always on top of the whole cycle. So that's excellent. Um, to all of our official helpers on Discord and unofficial helpers as well for being amazing and continuing to assist our entire community in so many ways. And finally, specifically to PCB helpers for embracing the new role. Um, that channel is incredibly active and, um, I see the, the PCB helpers, um, interjecting quite a lot. So I'm, I'm glad to see that. And, and really, I think they were helping out that much already. That hasn't changed. It's just that their names are more obvious. Um, but I just wanted to say thank you to them. Um, because that was, uh, that was a, a, something that was requested, uh, by higher effect actually. And um, we kind of put it together just based on who was talking the most in the channel and it has definitely worked out. Everybody's been super uh, positive about it and it was a good idea. So that's what I got. Awesome. Thank you, Katni. All right, last up we have notes from Kmatch98. It says, hug report to Foamy Guy for pilot help. Oh, time code, time code, time code. Um, Foamy guy for pilot help and a quick bug fixes on label testing of bitmap bitmap.blit. 
Hugreport's Summersoft for Sphinx Docs formatting, hanging tabs, and a Hugreport's Catney and Foamy Guy for merging display text PRs. And with that, we're done with Hugreports. Thank you all for participating. Happy to have you here. Next up, we have another round robin called Status Updates this time, which is all about uh, what you're working on, what you plan on working on in the coming week. Uh, again, if you're uh, text only or just uh, listening in, let us know you're lurking. Uh, make sure the note stock has that. And I'll go through the list. So I will start. Um, I've been working on air handling and debugging for the Wi-Fi stuff uh, since last week, which is uh, for the ESP32-S2. On Friday, I sent out a PR for the PSRAM support on the ESP32-S2. Uh, and uh, there's some follow-up that I need to, to do on that PR. I also have a pending PR to create PWMIO, which is moving PWM out uh, from Pulse.io to PWMIO. So uh, if you're writing new Pulse.io code or you come across, or, or sorry, if you come across PWM out code, um, once this is checked in, we'll have you move that to PWMIO. Pulse.io will work in 6x, but in uh, 7x, we will remove it from Pulse.io. So just be aware of that. Um, once that's checked in, I think we'll do another uh, long overdue release, which I think Dan was talking about doing. Uh, which he'll have the time to do because I will be reviewing some awesome work that he's been doing with HCI VLE. That's one of the big things uh, this week. And then the other big thing is just getting all the, the I's and T's uh, dotted and crossed for the native Wi-Fi stuff on the ESP32-S2 um, so that people can try it and find uh, things that are happening there. Um, Lamora tried it over the weekend and said she found lots of bugs. So <laughs> uh, I'm going to be in bug hunting mode, I think, in the next few weeks. And that's it for me. Let's uh, circle around. Um, Dan is on deck, but first I will read uh, notes from C. Grover. C. Grover says, uh, wrapping up the final two feature requirements for the range slicer Euro module with the aforementioned roadblock. Abandoned the old prototype and created a new, smaller module. Boards, 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 a new shipment from Oshpark. You know what that means. <laughs> and uh, the transformation of the recording studio is nearly complete. The final step is to purge the old recordings and console settings from the Windows-based workstation and fully embrace the iMac implementation. Uh, found a hoarder's treasure of special settings and sidechain configurations that I used over the years. Uh, most are simply historical and won't make it to the new workstation. Uh, and with that, uh, David Glad's on deck, but first let's go to Dan. Okay, so I had uh, finished what I, I had thought I had finished BLAIOHCI um, last week and was preparing a PR. And then when I turned off the logging that I was doing of all the messages that are going back and forth to the HCI adapter, it stopped working. So it worked when the messages were on and not when they were off, uh, which was frustrating because then you can't debug it by putting in print statements. So I set up an off-board um, ESP32 HCI adapter and connected up to a Salier and looked at the UART messages going back and forth and eventually figured out what was wrong. There were two different uh, bugs, but it took a couple of days to do that. So I then did submit a PR late last week, which Scott is uh, reviewing, and there's also a minor addition to the BLE library to set up the ACI adapter. 
Um, the other thing, I, as I mentioned over the weekend, I fixed a regression in the BLE library that a user discovered. And uh, since Jeff submitted dozens of PR changes to the library to fix the pilot problem, I did a lot of clicking to approve and merge those. So that was that was a fun 20, half an hour <laughs> of, of multiple mouse clicks. Okay. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. All right, next up we have David G. So on the CircuitPython side, I've been working on two library um, or package, the PM25 and the IS31FL, I got so many numbers. Um, I adapted the RGB matrix feathering uh, for M4 so that it works with my 64 by 64 matrix. So it needs an extra pin for the address E something. So it's wired and it's working. Um, and I've been working on the consequence of the release of the LSM 6DS library. Some library were using that, so they started to break and then long guides started to break. So yeah, I've got something in the weeds there because we need to do release management or something like that. Mm -hmm. And on the non-circuit Python, I've got the color maximize 2. So I managed to control uh, the unicorn art from Pimaroni, um, which has 64 neopixel. And I made some HDMI encoding of the output of the maximize, so I should be able to stream or record whatever I do there. Interesting. Thanks, David. All right. Uh, higher effect is on deck, but first, let's go to Foamy Guy. All right. Uh, let me get back to the notes. Okay. So uh, this week, I tested out a PR earlier this week on the PR, uh, PN532. It's a RFID and NFC um, reader. Uh, somebody set it up to where it could be used with a trigger pin. So instead of just blocking and waiting for a um, card to approach, you can now uh, flip an input uh, pin for you. You can check it once each time through your loop, and you don't have to block the CPU, so you can do other things. So that was really cool. Um, I tested out, uh, like uh, David just mentioned, a couple different PRs and fixes and things related to the LSM 60S library. Um, I uh, got a Charlie Wing. I picked up a Charlie Wing a little while back at some point and finally got around to, to soldering it together and playing with it this weekend. Um, so that thing, that's pretty fun um, little thing there with all the PWM on all those um, tiny LEDs. Uh, that was fun to play with. Um, I mentioned in the hard reports that I played around a little bit with bitmap blip. Um, so that was really cool. The, let's see, a couple others that I did last week was a small change in the progress bar. I think I mentioned it last week on the meeting about making height and width public. Uh, I did create a quick PR for that this week. And then uh, while I was testing out something on the Pi Portal library, uh, I ran into a kind of weird thing where uh, images on that are stored on the SD card, when you try to show them on the screen with on disk bitmap, um, at least in my case, the Pi Portal was getting locked up. Um, and uh, I made an issue for that on the main CircuitPython repo, and another user actually came along with a much better uh, simplified reproducer case. So I intend to uh, look back into that uh, this week as well. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of this week, I do, let's see, I'm going to write up a proposals for a couple new uh, small guides that I want to work on. And then there is a open PR. I forgot the name of the sensor, but it's a color sensor. Um, I had made a change a little while back. The um, way that it was reading the color values, uh, basically. And I need to look into that um, to take into account something that another user had posted 
about the way that that calculation should work. And then lastly, uh, the other thing actually that I soldered together this week was a, a mini TFT Featherwing. Um, and I would like to come up with some sort of simple app to make for that uh, this week. So maybe a little timer or a little keyboard macro thing or something like that, just something small that has a little menu uh, that makes use of the, the joystick in the screen on that little uh, device there. Um, but that's all I got for this week. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, Foamy Guy. All right, Jeff Hepler's on deck, but first let's go to Higher Effect. Ready. So uh, this past week um, uh, was actually mostly spent on uh, some hardware stuff that wasn't strictly CircuitPython related. Um, but I did start my bug and issue roundup uh, moving off of ESP32 and back into STM32 land where some stuff has been going off the rails a little bit. Um, so <laughs> uh, I've been working this morning on, on uh, resolving a bug that I've been tracking down with the Meowbit. Um, which uh, turned out to be just kind of a general low power settings issue. Uh, there's a couple of things in that vein uh, to continue this week. Uh, so I'll be working on those, uh, continuing that this week. And I've, I've put together kind of a list to try and prioritize all of these small tasks, uh, at least a little bit, so that I can uh, get to the most important ones first. Uh, I got some F103 boards uh, in the mail, uh, F103 in big quotation marks, uh, <laughs> are actually Chinese clones of the F-103, but they are at least the right version, again, in, in quotation marks, so that I can use them with CircuitPython. So um, we'll see how they work. Um, but uh, I'd, love, I'd love to get the, the F-1 uh, port uh, on back on the rails, uh, even if it takes some uh, not really F-1 uh, chips to do it. Um, this week, uh, more bug fix stuff. Uh, going to be revisiting the LED matrix to try and figure out what's going on with that. Got some low power settings and stuff like that. Um, all of that uh, is on the table. And uh, if that all goes well, um, I'm going to be revisiting some also, uh, also some kind of low-hanging fruit modules that have uh, been left behind on the STM32, um, like rotary I.O., uh, and uh, who knows, maybe if those are simple enough, maybe uh, think about doing some of that stuff for the IMX or ESP32. Kind of up to you, Scott. Let me know. And uh, Yeah, I think I'm, I, I'm very quickly going to suck you back into ESP32 SU land. You bet. Uh, because I'm fully expecting, like just like Lamore testing it, led to a lot of issues. I okay. think it's going to be you and I kind of whack-a-moleing those as they come up, so... Okay, cool. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I'd like to grab some of these like super, uh, the the STM32 issues that are like blocking whole dev boards. Um, yep. But uh, but after that, yeah, I'm I'm happy to get right back into to ESP32 land. So yeah, just uh, know what's coming. So prioritize aggressively. <laughs> right. Yeah. You bet. Uh, cool. Uh, and I remember, I remember us having a discussion where, like, after you did the Pulse.io stuff and NeoPixel, you would switch to the STM stuff for a bit. So uh, that's where I think you're at. But oh, cool. I, I, I'm planning on sucking you back into ESP32 land. When I do get into ESP32, uh, what's what's first for that? Just bug fixes or? Yeah, module? I think I think mostly bug fixes. But if you do happen to do rotary I/O um, for STM, you could totally just then do that for uh, S2 as well. Yeah, I think that's really low-hanging fruit. Like, that that should be okay. pretty easy. So, yeah, doing stuff yeah. like that is totally cool with me. If you're like, oh, both these ports need these two things, like, and you want to do them concurrently, that's totally cool. Cool, cool. Sounds good. Cool. Okay. 
Thanks, Higher Effect. Uh, Jerry's on deck, but first let's go to Jeff. All right. So uh, last week was for Canvas. I spent some time sketching out what the API would look like and running that by Scott. Uh, I did share the link in Discord, but if anybody would like to see that and maybe weigh in because you have an opinion, I'd be happy to get that link out again and share it with you. Um, I also did, as a number of people noted, a bunch of library pilot PRs over the weekend. Most of them were merged. Some have some other miscellaneous pilot stuff that made them not an obvious merge, uh, and I'm sure those will get looked at soon, thanks to uh, people like Katni and everybody else. Uh, so anyway, this week, continuing on the CAN bus work, I've gotten to the point where enough of the boilerplate is written the can object itself, the message object, the filter object, that I can actually uh, start touching the registers uh, of the hardware. So maybe tomorrow I will be able to send out a packet on the CAN bus with one of my STM microcontrollers running MicroPython, but we will see. And uh, fun stuff, I've been working on an RPN calculator with uh, CircuitPython and the sharp memory display, and I got an approval to turn that into a project guide. So that will be a lot of fun and a chance to put uh, polish on a project where I might have just, you know, gotten it to the personal finish line and tossed it in the corner. So looking forward to spending some time on that. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. All right, Katni's on deck. Let's go to Jerry. Hi. Um, I spent a bunch of time last week. thought I'd do a quick update to the RFM69 library to implement some code reduction size and get it frozen in CircuitPython like I did with the uh, RFM9X. And everything was going great until I did some long-term testing <laughs> on on and found that I had written this really, really obscure little problem on only on SAMD21 boards. Um, and so after a lot of head-scratching, confusion, and debugging and testing, it Turns out it's it's an issue with the SPI baud rate, and so I put it in the weeds. We can discuss it there uh, a little more detail. But um, I think uh, certainly have a workaround. Whether it's meaningful or correct, we'll see. But mm -hmm. hopefully with this we can move on. But certainly it was a head scratcher. Awesome, thank you, Jerry. Yep. Okay, I've got notes to read for K match after we hear from Katney. <clears throat> Hello. Hello. So last week, I finished the library PR sweep, um, which really is never going to be finished, but <laughs> finished up what we had. Um, merged and commented and closed, etc. many PRs. Uh, did the weekly CircuitPython library release sweep, which didn't get done for two weeks, so that was a bit of a slog. Um, tested a PR from Carter, adding digital I.O. to Adafruit CircuitPython motor. Um, Carter tested it on Raspberry Pi, but not on um, microcontroller. So that was uh, put on my table. And it works. Mm -hmm. um, got through my assigned GitHub issues, which was a few various things. Um, updated the motor kit guide and code to include using multiple I squared C devices. This is an issue that comes up on the forums pretty regularly. And uh, Lamore was basically tired of dealing with it. Mm -hmm. So um, the code now includes explicitly calling the I squared C um, object instead of 
um, assuming it, which the library still does. So no, it, it's backwards compatible, basically. It, it just makes it easier to for beginners to understand what is going on in the code. So all the old code will still work just fine. Um, but there's now a section in the guide on how to instantiate things to use multiple I squared C devices. Um, updated the RGB matrix feathering guide to include the NRF52840 wing, blogged that update, and added the Feather M0 default files to the CircuitPython default files repo. This week, um, I'm going to be reviewing another set of PRs. I got a, one that I was um, specifically called on, and then uh, the series of uh, pilot PRs that are now failing on other stuff. Um, I will be going through those as well. I'm going to update the LAS3DH guide to feature the newly released STEM QT version. Um, I need to review the RGB matrix circuit Python guide to verify that the NRF inclusion is to the level it needs to be. Um, and then I'm going to be doing some stepper motor guide updates and additions. Uh, the first one is updating the DRV8833 guide to include circuit Python. I need to test it on Raspberry Pi to include in that guide and then add circuit Python page to the TB6612 motor driver as well. Um, possibly the same page, uh, possibly not, depends on how much of a difference there is, and that will be determined. And then continuing to follow up on the responses, et cetera, to the PR sweep, because those are coming in over time as people are now responding to comments um, and so on, because uh, that obviously doesn't happen all at once. And that's what I've got going on. Awesome. Thank you, Katni. Okay, and last up, I have notes from Kmatch98, who says, wait, time code, time code. <laughs> Kmatch98 says, uh, bug fixes and display text for placement and background box sizing, especially affecting script fonts. Uh, pass the PR text for the bitmap.blit. And this week, make bitmap label to be mutable to fully match label and learn how to avoid memory leaks. Um, and that's it. Thank you, everybody, for uh, your status updates. We really appreciate it. Um, lastly, we have our section called In the Weeds, which is a, a chance for us to talk about any sort of random longer-form sorts of questions and comments and discussions and stuff. Um, as always, uh, if you have uh, content for the In the Weeds, please drop them in the notes doc before we get there. Uh, we have lots of topics now, so thank you for everybody for doing that. Just a reminder uh, as to how you get a topic in, in the weeds if you're curious. And with that, uh, I'm going to kick it over to Jerry for a couple of the questions. So go ahead, Jerry. All I can do is find the little button over there. I know, right? <laughs> um, okay, so um, try to make this fast. So what I found is that when we first started working with the RFM boards, there was a problem. Uh, the default baud rate used to be, I think it's 10 megahertz for the um, systems. And we found that uh, it worked okay for feather wings and for the onboard board, the boards with onboards. But when you started connecting wires to breakouts, it was a little dicey. Mm -hmm. So we lowered the default there to 5 megahertz. And it's been working fine for all conditions that I'm aware of. But in this testing I was doing, I was running into this really bizarre problem with, uh, again, only on SAMD21 builds. And, um, and 
And what would happen is it, it was d- very data dependent. Um, it's been driving me nuts. And it, 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 the data dependency that I tracked down that I'm using as my trigger, it makes no sense. It was when the third byte of the header had the most significant bit set, you would start getting errors. Hmm. This has just been driving me nuts trying to figure out why, how, how that could possibly have anything to do with the problems. And when I started looking at the data, I could see that the data was being reported, received by the SAMD21 garbled. I mean, things were not mm-hmm. correct. Not, they were not what was being sent. But the radio module was not reporting any errors, which it would do if the data was corrupted. So it makes me think that the data is actually being received by the module correctly, but it was the SPI transmission that was screwing things up. And so, but there's no SPI errors, but you just get trash or probably, probably now if I dig into it, maybe I can find that things are shifted or whatever, but I haven't gone Mm -hmm. that far, but by slowing the baud rate down to one megahertz, the problem pretty much went away. This sounds a lot, this sounds, did you see that I squared C issue that Slavic brought up? It sounds very similar to that issue. Okay. No, where was that one? Uh, he just posted it on Friday, but it's this, he was having issues with I squared C where if the top bit was set to one, he was, uh, which one was, which, who posted this? It's on, um, let me find it. Oh, Jeff's got it. It's for I squared C peripheral, but it's the same. It sounds very similar. Okay. Interesting. Weird. So, so I don't know if there's something, if this, if this hinting at some other issue in the core that's different, it's changed. So that was that was why I sort of wanted to raise it. Mm-hmm. Is it something to be pursued in some more general case? Then the secondary case is to deal with this on the um, RFM 69 mm-hmm. Do we want to change the default baud rate to a megahertz for everything? Or should I just put a note in the doc string or in the guide saying, if you have problems, you might want to try changing the baud rate? Uh, which is easy to do as a parameter setting. Right. So, you know, would that be a better way to handle this? Because A, not so many people are using SAMD 21s for these things anymore. And mm-hmm. B, it doesn't always happen. <laughs> it, you know, it, it happens if you use, I, I only ran into it when I when I was trying to use the reliable datagram mode. And again, it, it seems to be somewhat data dependent. Mm-hmm. So what would what would you recommend for an approach, or should we try and solve the problem somewhere else? Well, I generally think it's a good idea to start with the low, right? Like the default settings are the ones that should work for everyone. Right. Is and there any you... downside to setting it to a megahertz for everybody? I mean, it'll just be slower, right? Like. Right, but I will can't... anybody for a, you know for something like a Sandy but an RFM six nine where you've got you know maximum sixty byte packet? <laughs> is anybody going to care? I doubt it. But you could always document that, like, yeah, you can run this faster if you need to. That's true. We can go the other way. All right. Maybe yeah. I'll try that in the next update. And I'll, I'll do a bunch more testing on this to see if I can. And maybe, you know, maybe two megahertz will work or, or four. I, I just I haven't tried it anywhere else either. Yeah. I mean, I think generally, like, if you're having to slow it down because you don't know what the wiring is. Like, it's good to default it to, like, the thing that's going to be most likely to work. Yeah, actually, that's true. I should try it with a breakout and see if that makes any difference where you have longer wires. 
So I'll do some more experimenting before I put anything in. But yeah. it was, like I said, I'm glad it, was, it finally stumbled across that it was a SPI issue and not because the other alternatives were really bizarre. <laughs> it just didn't make any sense. Right. So that you're only seeing the issue on the incoming data. Well, not the outgoing. The data. Out, no, outgoing data is. For, so if if the problem occurs on the incoming of the SAM B21, right. it also sends out bizarre stuff too. So right. when it try now, because what happens though when it, especially again when you're using reliable datagram, things start happening fast. It starts echoing and acknowledging and failing X, and and there's a lot of transmissions go on, mm. and it starts sending out terribly corrupted packets. But again, they're received on the other side. So the the radio part is handling the packets normally because you put the stuff in the FIFO mm -hmm. and then the module says, okay, I'm going to make this, I'm going to put the preamble on this. I'm going to put the checksum on it. Right. And it sends it. So it reliably the data, sends incorrect data. That's right. You, 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 so we're putting trash into it and it's happily passing it along and, and same way receiving it. But so that, that's, that's the part that was really confusing me. Right. So I think it is strictly an SPI a communication problem on the, on the MCU to SBI side, but you're saying you saw you're seeing single bit errors. Uh no. Well, actually, yeah. Uh, I think sometimes the the initial problem when it first occurs is mostly is that one, one uh, one, one or two MSBs in a word in a byte in a consecutive bytes are are shifted, and that that sets up a, a problem. The rest of the stream string actually looks okay. The rest of about the 30 byte message. Then once that fails, things kind of fall apart because it's. And, you, and you're seeing this on like the CLEA or something, or is it just. No, no, I'm, not seeing it, I'm just seeing it by what I'm doing is I'm, I'm watching the, the data, the, the, the packet being sent, printing it out. Um, and then on the receiving side, printing out what's been received and how it's being, being, being processed. So I'm seeing. Okay. Minor errors initially that then cascade into bigger errors. But the biggest problem occurs again. It, it you know I can I can count this down if I, if I it, it's the third byte of the header is the is a sequence counter, when it goes to, MSB set when it goes above one twenty seven, things start to fall apart. And that just makes absolutely no sense. <laughs> so if it maybe it's being treated as a signed number by accident and yeah. so. Yeah, uh, I don't see how it could be. Um, okay, I'm just. I mean, I think there's two, and it works perfectly well on a SAMD51. Um, no problem. Okay. So, I mean, I, I mean, I was thinking there's two things. One is that could, there could be an electrical problem, and that's what we you yep. think kind of initially. Yep. And, and the other is that it could be that the data being sent over SPI is corrupted because right. the the buffer that sending the SPI data is getting corrupted somehow. Yeah. So those are two pretty different problems. So do you have a CLEA or something to look I at? I do. I can try, try and look at what's going on in there. Um, so to see whether uh, you're seeing ringing or to see whether the bit's completely missing or something, you know. So, yeah. yeah, good, yeah. good points. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll dig into a lot more. Um, because the one megahertz thing could be you're solving an electrical problem because the pulse is longer, or it could be that something is not smashing the buffer because the timing is different inside CircuitPython. 
Okay. So it could be. It's not necessarily just. Yeah, and like I said, it it only yeah. happens on the on the. Uh, I've only been able to. I've only seen the problem on the on the Sandy fifty ones. What I've been I've been talking to a Raspberry Pi on the other side most of the time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, it would be good. I think it would be good to actually look at the waveform. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'll do that. And uh, okay. so I'll hold off on 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 doing anything with it. Um, I, I'm ho was hoping to get get you know, this this in so that it would be in the next next release because because what it does is it, I found found some good savings in in the size of the the uh, RFM sixty nine library so it fits it'll fit well into the um, Circuit Python build. Nice. But, um, um, okay, I'll keep poking on it. Um, now, where did I go? I did have another quick question, and, and we can defer this to another time. Um, that was just about GCC 10. As you know, I, I, I continue to have problems. Well, I haven't tried it in the last week or so, building for 7051s. I'm curious if anyone's been able to reproduce that or anyone has even tried. And then the other question is that, you know, there have been questions on the, on the, um, on, you know, in the, in the discussions about, migrating to gcc 10 and I'm, I'm just wondering is is since gcc 10 is still at a preview stage i'm assuming that's sort of like beta do we want to do that before it's actually stably released um so i was looking at this i squared c peripheral problem over the weekend and i was i ran into exactly what you were having the issue with the samd 51 and gcc 10 oh good <laughs> because i'm on i'm on arch and like they just give you the latest, <laughs> right. uh, which is why I pinged Jeff on his PR. Like, can we get all these fixes in, even if we're not switching to GCC 10? Um, so, I, you know, I'm not in a rush to switch to it. I'm using it personally because that's the easiest thing for me to install. Um, sure. For the issue with the 51, I did manage to get it working by simply turning LTO off. Oh, so that's, that's that is a clue as to what the issue is. And the backtrace I got when I was safe moding was uh, in a mem copy, I think, which is also the thing that the MicroPython fix for GCC 10 tries to prevent LTO from impacting. Uh huh. Um, so okay, well, uh, I'm I'm really relieved that somebody that you it's been reproduced <laughs> is, uh, yeah. that and that's you know so you know. Then that relieves you know when or you whenever you're comfortable with it, then I'm happy to to move on. But, yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah. it's something that I would like to do. I think we are going to get some code size back, but yeah, it, um, it's not urgent. So this this SAMD51 issue is just going to be one of the things that we have to look at when we actually want to do it. Good. Well, that's fine. I, and I just want to make sure it was a real issue and not just something bizarre yep. that I was I was working with. So. Now that it's now that it's on your side, <laughs> I'm, I'm good with it. Yeah, I did see it. I was like, oh, like when this is what happens to me whenever I decide to like, oh, I'll take an hour to look at this issue because Slavic asked me to look at it, and like <laughs> the first thing I had to do is like look at this other issue that's not even the issue I'm trying to look at. But, so I just disabled LTO and it worked okay, and I was able to like take a look at the I squared C peripheral stuff a bit. Um, I didn't actually, I couldn't reproduce it on my own. So I kind of just pushed back and said, like, I think it's your wiring. Um, it's a very weird bug. So. All right. Thanks. Um, yep. 
Okay, uh, let's go to Jeff Epler for the next In the Weeds topic. It should be pretty quick. Yeah, I think it occurred to a number of us at about the that maybe we should move a CircuitPython weekly meeting to coincide with CircuitPython Day. Since that week we're already displacing it from Monday to Tuesday, we would just displace it from Tuesday to Wednesday. Sounds good to me. All right. Well, I uh, tossed a pull request over the wall into the weekly meeting repo, and I think if somebody merges that, that we will officially be moved to Wednesday. And we have and, another in favor from Foamy Guy. And I would also uh, question, should we stream it? Like, should we stream it on, on Adafruit properties rather than just doing it here? Um, I think that week will fall to me. I do have Twitch streaming set up on my OBS, but uh, not YouTube streaming. So we could certainly look into doing that. Yeah, we could get you hooked up with Restream. Okay, let's talk about that. Yeah, I think it might be a, like, I don't think we want to do it every week, but this might no. be a good way for us to <laughs> kind of advertise it. Mm -hmm. Like, if people do want to, it does happen. All right, well, I will add that to my little list of uh, CircuitPython Day stuff I'm cooking up, and uh, I will let somebody else merge in that pull request on the uh, meeting Git repo. Awesome. Thanks, Jeff. Great. Thank you. Uh, Katni, did you have a comment on that? All right, uh, next up we have uh, David Cloud for In the Weeds. Okay, so um, I wanted to discuss that issue that happened with that LSD6 whatever uh, library. Mm -hmm. So basically, um, Scott wants to split libraries into package <laughs> in order to save memory. Mm -hmm. I've been doing that for two libraries, and there was some work going on on another library. When you do that, you change the way to do the import. Mm -hmm. And so it's breaking the long guide, but it's also breaking the libraries which are depending on that one. Right. And for that case, um, there was a clue, but there was also the file batch because there is a support for file batch on the clue. And so, yeah, I would have thought that. I mean, the library was likely tested on its own and released and everything, but the consequence of changing that was not uh, anticipated. But I did see, I sent a warning, and then it was too late already. Um, so I think we need release management or um, something like that for the libraries, but also we may need to have a dependency tree so that we know what depends on what. Mm -hmm. Because you, you control all of the libraries, all of the circuit Python libraries. I'm not talking about the, the other um, bundle. And it would be nice that the bundle is um, coherent between the various libraries so that you can, any day you can download the package and you have something working. Right. Uh, yeah, that's it. So <clears throat> in this case, it was just straight up a failure on our part. Um, I don't know if this is the first time this has happened, and that's why we missed it. Um, regarding a dependency tree, GitHub actually now displays um, 
what libraries are using a particular library. So they've already got something built in that sort of shows us what is going on there. And it is, I think it's, it's not necessarily on the author of the PR to fix everything, but it's, it's up to us as a group to make sure that when a library does has a breaking change like that, that we go through and we check, you know, what guides are breaking, what other libraries are breaking, that sort of thing. And it just needs to be added to our workflow. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't see, an, I'm like, I don't really see other ways around it. I mean, creating more checklists and that kind of thing um, is just more places to look and more things for us to miss, I guess, or things for us, you know, become signal to noise ratio issue with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it just needs to become part of the workflow to, if you're doing a breaking change, even if, if you're, if you're a community member, for example, being asked to do a breaking change, um, you don't necessarily have access to go update those guides anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not necessarily on you to update the guides, but it's on us when we are thinking about what to do with it or merging it or whatever to make sure that it's on our radar that it may break some guides and we need to update them. It may break other libraries, which is probably the slightly more important thing to fix um, in order of things. But and do we know if there are a lot of other splittings like that which are um, planned or required or coming? Um, because that there is also the checklist about the splitting is also because when you do the splitting, you also need to change the uh, simple test file because normally you use the naming in there. And right. You need to split the simple tests. Um, so. I mean, I managed to do one uh, thanks to a recommendation I've received on the peer and stuff like that. But I mean, if there are a lot to do, then maybe uh, it can be done better or with a checklist, with a, a guide I, or other. I think the issue here is that um, we have grown so used to doing this that it doesn't occur to us what we need to tell you mm-hmm. the first time you do it. I think that's the issue there um, because you, you do something so many times it just becomes habit and it doesn't occur to you that half of the things that you do are something that someone who is new would not think about. Like when you updated the documentation on that other library and there was three other files you had to update, like you, you have no reason to know about that until I go into the PR and say, oh, by the way, you have to do these other three things. You know, it's just something I habitually know how to do, but we aren't so much um i think conveying it as as well as we could be to people who are doing this for the first or second time um so i think that's another not so much straight up failure but another issue that we need to pay more attention to is that if we're going to ask community members to do these sorts of things to libraries we need to make sure that we're clear on what on everything that means Otherwise, we're leaving you in a situation where you are struggling because, you know, something's not working or you or something got missed or whatever. And, that, and it's not on you. It's it's on us for not clarifying as well as we could. Um, 
so that's that's what I think on that one. Um, I think it just needs to be. It needs to be. It, it needs to be part of our workflow that when libraries are changed to that extent, that we have to go through and we have to figure out what else is being affected. And right, I think we just we drop the ball is is the is the answer on that one and. Um, now we've got GitHub tools that help us with that. We've got, you know, community members who are helping with that. And we've got all kinds of resources. We just need to use them and make sure. And that's the thing too. Like I said, if, if, if you go through and figure out, um, like David, let's say you actually went through the learn guides and you found three that needed to be updated and you found two libraries and whatever, you can put that in the PR and like, we will fix it or we will find someone who can. Um, because, you know, you don't have access to those, um, you might have access to the other libraries, but maybe that's not on your list of things to do. So, um, you know, finding other people who can take care of it is, is something that, you know, we can make sure that we do. Um, or if you're not in a position to find those things, then you need to say, you know, in the PR, Hey, this is a breaking change, but, you know, um, there are some things that, but, but I'm not going to go through and, and figure out everything it breaks. That's, that's a totally reasonable way to go about yeah. it as well. I found them one by one. So I, I was testing the, I wanted to do the pedometer since a bit of time because that was yeah. correct. And then, okay, I said, okay, no, no, it's fixed. So I can try. So, oh, no, there is another problem. Oh, there is another. And then, yeah, okay, then, so let's search. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, like I said, I think when the when the LSM library was changed, it it just we dropped the ball on paying attention to the fact that it was used across the board. And there's now like I think 20 PRs or something in for it right now, and that should have happened as soon as that library was changed, not after everyone discovered everything broke. Mm-hmm. And inevitably, we'll miss something, but I would much rather we miss one thing than 20 things. So we should be checking that actively as soon as we're breaking changes is, I guess, what I'm getting at. And yeah. um, I will bring that up internally um, because that's something that that we need to be doing. And now it's on your radar to do. Um, but that doesn't mean that the folks who are not in this meeting right now who work on libraries internally are thinking about it. So I want to make sure that it's considered do we think it's worth having a circuit Python contributing to circuit Python libraries learn guide? There is one. There is one. I, uh. Well, we have the one that I think you wrote. Right, but that's to make a new library. Maybe we evolve that to include like you're working on an existing one, and then this is a sub sub case of that, right? Where you're actually breaking API. Maybe it might also go in the. Um contributing to CircuitPython with Git and GitHub guides since that really is about contributing to libraries, not about contributing to the core. Yeah. Yeah, because I know uh, what I've done in that case is I, I just searched the bundle and I searched the learn repo. Right. But now yeah, that's the, what I do. the GitHub thing um, is a recent addition as far as I know. It now has dependencies listed. I don't know how it... I mean, it must be searching imports or something because... Um, so I think I those are based on setup.py. Oh, okay. I think that's how they do it. Um, uh, I looked at the LSM DS6 and I didn't see any reverse dependencies of that. 
I thought it said this library was used by two things, Adafruit Clue. Maybe it's not on my oh, It says two repositories, but Adafruit Clue is the only one that pops up. And oh, if there I remember it is. correctly, it can't use setup.py because setup. It's that one doesn't have a setup.py. Hmm. So maybe it's using requirements.txt. I don't know. Yeah, that could be it too. Uh, and then while doing that, I started to encounter the plint um, change. Mm -hmm. So you change a little bit of something somewhere, and then you get warning about something you've not touched, and that, yeah, that was. Yeah. So, and all over the weekend, of course, because that, yeah. I mean, because, right, re release everything on Friday. That's that's a good day to do it. Yeah. Um, I love to do releases on Friday. I know you do. <laughs> um, so regarding your second thing, um, we just I guess we just need to pay attention to when they're doing releases, including minor versions, because um, uh, I mean, they're, they're going to make changes and they're obviously their their versioning is not not along with our own. Because that would have been a major version release for us if it broke something. I think um, it, I, I think it's a worthwhile discussion to have with pilots. Like, yeah, I'd I be willing that. to open an issue and be like, "Hey, like, why wasn't this a major release? Because you're adding something by default, which is breaking our builds, right? Like, yeah." There is this whole discussion about the value of semantic versioning and what it means, what the different numbers mean, and I think that um, I think it's important to uh, it's important to be like you know get them to clarify what their expectations are. Um, like yeah. if we need if we need to say you know we're on the the minor version right, like the middle number instead of the the top number, then that that's okay. I mean, theoretically, the whole point was that we were just going to keep up with it. Um, however, keeping up with it when they're stashing major breaks in minor builds is right. slightly more difficult to do. Because then we got we to gotta just be on top of every version, period. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm all for the, like, I guess maybe it's Sphinx that we do it, where we say we, we use up to three, right? Like, we'll use yeah. any 2x version. No, I, I, I fought for Pylant remaining completely, current. Yeah. Completely current. And this throws a little bit of a wrench in that. But again, even if we had, we, we still would have gone with, like, the major version change. Um, like, just logically speaking, after the discussion, that's what we would have done, not you know, expecting this to happen. So I think just making a discussion with them would be good. Um, yeah. Otherwise, it's just... It'd be nice if, like, all new warnings they add as, like, warnings instead of failures. And then, like, on a major release, they, t they turn things on by default or something. Yeah, I mean, however they want to do it, but at least if there was some consistency to their numbering right we could work within that yep um but but inevitably this is going to happen 
Like, even yeah. if we've got something in place to deal with it, short of locking it down and then going through the massive slog that we went through the last time we updated it, which is exactly what I don't want to do. Um, there, you know, right. it's possible they're going to sneak something in on a Friday and we're going to not deal with it until Monday. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think there's a hundred percent of a way around that. Um, yeah, I like, I, I like the idea of like kind of doing it throughout the year rather than the big pushes, but I also don't like it that it like sh- shuts everything down. It's not very hermetic right. when your builds that were passing stop passing because something else changed, not your own stuff. Yeah, and we run into run into that all the time on the learn repo because mm-hmm. um, there's just so much going on there. Um, but libraries, um, not quite so much. So I don't know. I think I th- I think. For now, let's try and open a discussion with the pilot folks. See if we can, if nothing else, at least try to understand where they're coming from. And what um, their version numbers mean, right? Like if they say yeah. like, oh, well, we bumped the minor version, you should know better. Then or we... you have to pick the exact version. Right. Then, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But who knows? They may be open to discussion. Uh, I don't think we've ever tried to discuss with them. Mm-hmm. So there's a wide open playing field there. Um, anyway, I, th- I think that's kind of where it's at. Um, we deal with it as it comes, but we're going to, I guess, at this point, open a discussion with them and find out whether there's some better way we could be handling it based on how they are going to work. Right. Um, yeah, so that's that's my thought on the on the pilot annoyance. And practically for the change of this time, so are you going to change the pilot RC or? No, um, we actually removed all of the, um, cause, cause bad white space was in there, but now we're using black on the libraries. Uh, yeah, so... There is the white space, but there is the other one, which is going to be discussed later. And there is the other one, about, yeah, I don't know, one of the changes that was there. Yeah, um, I mean, ideally, we'd like to address these changes and actually update our code. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my plan. Um, just blanket disabling brand new things. We might as well just be pinning it to a specific version number and never update it. Um, so, like, my plan is to go through every one of these PRs that failed and actually figure out what needs to be done and whether what it's telling me is accurate and so on and so forth and possibly disabling it in line in the code if it's something we don't agree with. Um, but I don't want to do a blanket disable. But can we, re- can we recheck everything which is already valid with the previous version just to make them visible so that we don't have to wait for somebody to put, put a PR uh, to find about so, those? So- so Jeff put in PRs on pretty much all the libraries this weekend and other things were oh, yeah. shown up. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that did, we, we, we did what needed to be done to, to pick up the other stuff. And it's really only like six of them. That's a problem. Okay. All right. And if your stuff is specifically failing, definitely ping me and let me know and I can help you with it. Um, 
we can address it in any open PRs as well. So, all right. I think we're good there. Awesome. Thank you both. Okay, uh, let's go to Jeff next. And I think we might want to talk about this Adafruit Learn stuff after this as well. All right. Um, so this is really, in a lot of ways, a continuation of what David was talking about with uh, PyLint. One of the newly added diagnostics wants you to raise your exception from another exception. And um, I investigated after Foamy Guy raised the issue and found that in Desktop Python 3, it provides you a much better traceback. Uh, it says, here's one, one traceback, here's another traceback that was the original cause, and it can help you more fully understand what's going on. Um, uh, so that would improve the experience of anybody using a CircuitPython library on Blinka. On the other hand, I investigated what happens on CircuitPython, and there it doesn't make any difference in the quality of the traceback. Um, and it also increases the size of the MPY file just a little bit. Uh, like for each one that you add, it might add 10 bytes or 20 bytes, something in that realm of file size. Uh, so with that information on hand, I had prepared an Adabot patch that would disable this diagnostic altogether all across the libraries if we chose to apply it. Um, Dan was in favor on that PR of at least considering to address the pilot diagnostics and change them to use uh, rays from. And I wanted to get other opinions because it does seem like there is a trade-off and people who understand things better than me should sure talk about how best to resolve it within the context of CircuitPython, I think, as the main user of these libraries, but with the, the needs of Blinka and what makes experience better for users on Blinka also being... I'm of the opinion that we should consider like addressing it per library. Um, I think a lot, some of the libraries that that showed up in my inbox as problematic, um, only one of them, and I don't even know if it's one that it did the raise from or not, um, only one of them is consistently included in something where the MPy file changing might be a problem. Um, Which one was that? LAS3DH needs okay. to, you know, can help, like, remain tight. Um, but the others don't. And so what I'm thinking is we address it on a library by library, case-by-case uh, uh, case basis. Um, if there's libraries where it goes into a build and we have you know nothing left in that build we can do a disable in the library itself but i think specifically in the code of the library right not even like yes. the pilot rc for that no 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 pilot rcs yeah. all must be the same yeah. <laughs> i'm just gonna throw that out there right now I agree yeah um no no uh this would be in this would be in line in the code um where you have the try and accept and you don't do the raise from and then you would you would just pilot disable raise missing from um i think is what it is um and then on libraries where it's you know totally fine they're not typically 
frozen into, you know, the circuit Python display or circuit playground express display IO build or something, mm-hmm. um, you know, then we, we disable it if it, if it adds too much and, and forks the builds, um, which I'm sure we can figure out quickly. Um, Kenny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a really good approach. I ran into a very similar thing with the um, RFM libraries is that I, I was getting an, a, you know, a pilot complaint because there were too many statements. You know, there's a 50, 50 statement limit in a function. Yeah. And and that's all and well and good. And, you know, in most cases, you can break it up into a separate function, but that does add some code. And, yeah. You know, for these things where every byte was counting. I hope it, you know, I, I tried to make the argument that it was worth disabling it for that function, but sorry, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good approach. Um, and that's, that's the whole point of, of discussion is like, if you, you know, I, I, my recommendation is never disable. However, if you need to, we'll discuss it. And that's kind of, at least that's to new people so that people don't get in the habit of just disabling left and right, instead of actually addressing the pilot errors. Um, and, but if you come up with a situation like exactly like that one where you're like, hey, you know, I think this actually makes sense to disable it. You know, I, I agree. Go for it. Um, so I, th- I think that's how we should do it. I, I don't want to disable it across the board because, I mean, even though it's not really improving the traceback quality in CircuitPython, like Blinka users are becoming a huge, uh, huge audience, I guess. I can't think of a better word, but... Um, to be able to provide that, I think is worth it. All right. I agree with that. Um, I needed a little while to get to that point. So I'm going to go ahead and, uh, issue on the Adabot and close it without merging. So, okay. Thank you. Yeah, I agree with Kat Nasal. Okay. Um, I, I just want to take. Uh, I know. I know we're over our hour and a half, or we're we're approaching it. But there's a lively discussion in the text chat that I would just like to address, which is talking about um, v v nine two three z. Let me take a time code. Um, v nine two three z has been talking about why we have a GitHub repo for all the learned code, but we do not have the corresponding text. Uh, to go along with it, and I just want to give some background on this uh, because V923 is trying to convince me that that it should be done differently. Um, so I was in New York a year or two ago now at the same time as Justin and Tyler, who are um, the folks that do Learn, the Learn system. They were hired by Lamore to create Learn. Um, they were actually the first remote hires for Adafruit. Um <laughs> And I want to give you background on this uh, because, uh, yeah, so I had a meeting with them. I recognize the discrepancy that you're talking about. I believe in the open source model where both the text and the code of the guide should be, uh, we should lower the barrier of entry to getting changes into it by having it all publicly stored in a GitHub repo. Um, There was some hesitancy. it's it's about prioritization fundamentally, right? Like we only have a few people that work on it, and um, how do we prioritize a non-trivial task, which is taking the history of learn guides and structuring them in a text-friendly way with GitHub that we can also 
push changes back from the editor and learn into a GitHub repo as well. Um, it's a lot, a lot of work. So the reason that we have this situation where code is now stored on GitHub, but text is not is because uh, when I was having that discussion, it was clear that uh, like there's lots of other stuff they wanted to do um, and that it was much easier to just do the code than it was to do everything. Um, one of the things to make, to, to point out that, it, that it's not quite as simple as you may think is that there's actually a non-trivial amount of both metadata that goes with a guide. So like what products are associated with it, but there's also um, mirroring that happens between guides as well. So like, a uh, page might be shared between this guide and that guide and like which of the guides has the mass, the like main copy of it. Um, so it's, it's a lot of work to switch it over. And there's always been other stuff that we would rather work on instead. And one of the things that I, that was not something discussing at the time, but I think is getting higher up in their priority list is actually supporting translations. Um, and so I think when you're thinking about this awkwardness between being able to change code but not text, you have to kind of balance that with the prioritization of supporting uh, things like multiple translations and things like that. So um, I hear you. If we were redoing Learn, <laughs> I would push to have it done that way. But the reality is, is that like Learn was developed like five plus years ago, specifically for Lamore. Um, and it's still very much designed for what, what she wants. So, um, yeah, I would love to see it too, <laughs> but it's a lot of work and it's one of those things that doesn't clearly tie to, it doesn't clearly tie to like having more products in Adafruit and, um, the more products that Adafruit sells, the more they sell and the more money they make and the more people that can pay. So, um, it, it's in my mind, also kind of in that bucket with Glider, which I think is like being able to edit CircuitPython code of Rebeli would be amazing, but like creating a phone app to make it not suck uh, is non-trivial and a lot of work, and it doesn't directly tie to hardware sales. So um, I would say, you know, maybe just email support and say like, hey, I'd love to see this as a like a vote, or maybe we create a, an issue for it. But the reality is, is that um, it's it would take you know, Adafruit paid people to, to do it since Learn is also closed source. Um, or maybe we, or maybe we provide an alternative system. Like, uh, somebody was telling me they were interested in creating like a, uh, a place for project guides. Like maybe, maybe what we really need is like, if you really care about it, we should come up with an alternative system that, that is, built like instructables or learn guides, but is open source and, and all that. And then, and then it's a question of converting, like arguing to convert stuff back over. Um, yeah, I think that's probably your, your best bet is actually create an alternative. That's much better that, that does the same thing and allows for the same things. And then not only will you have an open source system that other people can use, but you'll also have one that, that Adafruit can adopt. Any comments on that? Otherwise, I'll well, get off. I'll get off my soapbox. Yeah, maybe on the long. I mean, it's very bizarre that I cannot see the new coming in guide, but I can see the code. So I'm frequently sneaking on 
it does coming out and test it. So it's, it's super great to, to have access to the code, even if you don't have the description around it. Right. Um, what is frustrating about the long guide is when you send comments about the long guide, it's, it's one way and it's anonymous. So you cannot make a PR say, there is that problem in the guide and then maybe have a discussion with whoever is trying to fix it. You just send a bottle in the water, you don't know if it's gonna be read, when, if it's gonna be fixed or not, is it fixed or not? It just, yeah, you, you notice something wrong in the guide, you, you write something, and then is there somebody reading it? I don't know. Yes, so this is something I brought up uh, in that meeting and it was still, a, it's still a very rudimentary system and like authors, authors do have like an inbox version of their guide, but they don't actually have your contact info. So like, there's no way that they're actually going to be able to respond to you. Um, there is a way internally to know like that it's been fixed, like that you've addressed, you can say I've addressed this, but um, it's just, you know, classic homegrown syndrome, uh, like ho homegrown system thing. Um, and uh, yeah, so I would say like, if, if you're really interested in this, like we could set out requirements and we should build it. <laughs> um, we should build an alternative that's better and more open and, and then try to make the argument that that Adafruit should switch to it. I, 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 one thing I think that would be possible is just to like open a repo or something similar that has where you could open issues on guide pages. They don't really have to be connected, but as you said, the problem is not seeing the 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 dialogue and being able to say, okay, this is going to be fixed. And um, I think there was originally a reason for that about the anonymity and so forth, which was that there were a lot of like, uh, it was such an easy mechanism to, people would use it for spamming and things like that. So a lot of the, there were sort of just some hidden disadvantages of, making it of having the person show up and so forth. But we could we could just have a, a, a repo that was nothing but issues and you could open them on page so-and-so of a guide and it would be recorded and it would be public and then it would be closed when it would happen. There'd be no connection. There's no automation right now, but that's a start. Mm -hmm. I don't see why we couldn't use the learn repo for that. We could, we could. Um, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. So we might maybe we'll so maybe send something to support. I mean, I think that there are are, are mechanisms for doing this where would which wouldn't necessarily require programming on the learn guide maintainers part right now. And and if somebody's I mean, interested in taking this on, I'm happy to discuss what it would need. <laughs> My, my plan was to um, get access to the learn guide by creating something that would be nice to have a guide. So that, that was part of my long-term plan. And maybe discover, oh, it's working behind the scene. Uh, but OK, later. Yeah. And I, I guess I, yeah, I, what I should also point out is that if you feel like you would benefit from having access to learn guides, we do generally give access to learn guides and, and there is like guide level permissions. 
so another another alternative like for for v923z is like if you want to be able to edit the microlab guide explicitly we could look into just give it getting you a learn account and and contributor access or whatever it is to uh to that guide i should and i should say that as well not so secret secret is the other less anonymous way to report issues with guides is to email support at adafruit.com and you then um this thing you don't necessarily get a response you get a response from support but you may not get a response from the person who fixes it um but it is not anonymous it's actually your email address shows up in that email and so on um so uh and and it gets sent to the appropriate folks when they receive that email so it does get read so if you want to know for sure that your stuff is getting through you can also do it that way they'll always suggest that you use the feedback link but support is also available i've been using a lot of the feedback link but i didn't write down that i should go back check the guide if it has been fixed or not and i may have reported two or three times the same problem because I forgot that right. I already said that. Uh, so that's not yeah, your failure. It, yeah, that's <laughs> that's a failure of the system to not be able to show you what you've already submitted, or it just didn't get fixed very quickly. <laughs> anyway, and, and then I found out that the code was somewhere else, so that I could fix the code, mm. uh, which is maybe not the right way, but okay, yeah. Anyway, I, I appreciate that. I, I mean, I think that having an open source alternative would be beneficial to more than just Adafruit as well. So I think that's a neat idea um, if people do want to kind of like form a group to do that. Um, I think that would be awesome. That's not something Adafruit's going to pay me to work on, <laughs> uh, but it's something I'm happy to give my feedback on. Uh, anyway, let, let's wrap up. We're, we're well into this uh, meeting. So uh, thank you, everybody, for joining us. This has been the Adafruit CircuitPython Weekly for, uh, I don't know, what month is it? August 24th, 2020. Um, this happens normally uh, on Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, on the Adafruit Discord server, which everyone is welcome to join uh, by going to the URL adafru.it slash discord. It's uh, been recorded, so it will be available. Uh, the audio and the notes will be available on youtube.com slash Adafruit and also on podcast services under the Adafruit channel. I don't actually know what the... I don't know what the, the title of the stream is, but you can find it on podcast stuff. Um, so check that out. Uh, meetings are normally on Mondays. The next one is on Monday, but the one following, we just decided to bump to Wednesday. So Monday is a U.S. holiday, and CircuitPython Day is Wednesday, uh, September 9th. So we're planning on doing our meeting uh, on on Wednesday instead. So just a heads up with that. And um, I think that's it. We're in Discord all week, so if you have questions about CircuitPython, check us out there. Otherwise, thank you so much for this lively discussion uh, that we have every week. It's the community that makes CircuitPython as awesome as it is. So thank you all, and I uh, look forward to talking with you next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. 